right. So I guess first off, thank you for being here and taking the time to sit down and have a little chat with me. Um, I, I guess we should start off by telling or giving everyone a little bit of your background and kind of tell them what a vitality coach is, and then we can kind of get things going from there. How about that? That sounds great. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here with you. So a vitality coach is somebody that helps you to thrive, to live, move and feel your best from the inside out. So I am both a personal trainer and I teach yoga and I help people with mental fitness, which is the inner game of quieting the noisy chatter in your head so that you can not only feel incredible, but be able to think on purpose to bring your big vision and your mission to life. Nice. So what got you started down this journey, I guess? You know, have you always been, you know, wanting to promote positive thinking, positive mental fitness, as you just said, and you have you always been had a fitness background. That's why you went down the personal training background or part of it. So where do we start? Where, how did it happen? Well, it happened after I graduated from university, I studied gerontology. So gerontology is the study of aging. So when I graduated, I realized, you know what? I don't think I'm cut out for this. I'm too sensitive. I'm too empathetic. I can't go work in a retirement home. So instead I decided to move to Hawaii and become a personal trainer, much to my parents' confusion, but they were supportive because it's kind of a preventative approach to aging, helping you to feel good and enhance the quality of your life. So it made sense for me to become a trainer. I've always loved dance as a little girl. I love to exercise and to run. And so it was something that I enjoyed. And so I figured, well, how, why wouldn't I try to help other people enjoy it too? <laughs> so, so gerontology, I mean, we, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm kind of interested because you're the first person I've actually heard actually major to study this. Um, so it's actually the study of growing old basically, or how you, how the body grows old. Is that what you is that what it is? The gist of it? Essentially. Yes. How we grow old, but also, what that means biologically, of course, but then also from a sociological perspective and a psychological perspective and a cultural perspective. So looking at the different ways that some cultures help to keep their older generations inside their home, inside their family unit, they make them part of the family. Other cultures kind of, Ooh, that was my doggy. Sorry. Uh, other cultures kind of, um, you know, treat that older generation in a much different way. But ultimately the study is how can you thrive? How can you feel good? How can you make the most of the days that you have and bring the most life into the years that you have? Do you know who, uh, I guess the reason I ask this is because do you know who David Sinclair is? No. Okay. So he's a, I think he was a Harvard professor still is, but his whole research or whatever you want to say is basically studying age and aging and I think he actually caught, was talking about how it was never aging's never really called a disease because it ends. I guess I hope I got that right. Might be, mm. but anyway, now he's doing saying like how he wants to develop. He's developing CRISPR technology, which is basically putting in replacing DNA so it kind of reverses aging, and also that you know if you have certain traits that you wish you had but it's not in your DNA sequence. He would replicate that using just like a regular computer and making the body have that trait. Now, is there side effects? Probably. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, would I be a first adopter of this technology? Probably not. I'd like to see what's going on. But I guess that's just, it's kind of, you know, as we get 
you know, older, I was just like, hmm, how can I still thrive? How can I still be moving when I get, you know, 80 years old? Just because, you know, I know we're going to talk about posture and stuff a little bit, but I just, you know, you just see people walking down the street and stuff. And it's like, Hey, what's going on, man? Like, why are you so hunched over? You know, like what, what happened? You know? And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, you know, I've always had it in my mind that I just, when I get that older, if I get that old, I just never wanted to be like that. You know, does that kind of make sense what I'm saying? Oh, a hundred percent. That totally makes sense because when we look at older generations, older people, it kind of looks a little scary, right? Cause we, oh. we look at it and we think, is that what's going to happen to me too? Because that seems to be what's happening to a whole lot of people. Sure. And the great answer is, is that it's not your destiny. It's not the natural decline of the human body. I mean, always we're going to be working against gravity. We don't have any choice in the matter on that. But we do have the choice in how you handle gravity based on what you do today and how somebody looks in their later years is based on the choices that they've made throughout their earlier years. And so the more ahead of the curve, quite literally, you can get, then the stronger you feel today, the more energized you feel today, but then the better you sleep tonight, the more energized you wake up tomorrow, the more likely it is you're going to do something that day. And so you can see how it creates that sort of momentous ripple effect in your life. And really it comes down to what are you doing to make sure that you don't go into that hunchback on a daily basis. And here's the thing is, you know, we're both sitting down right now. Many of your listeners might be sitting down while they're listening to it. One thing that we all do way too much of is sitting and that can definitely take a toll and impact how the later years turn out. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent, you know, you know, based on history and, I guess genetics and just whatever, everything I've read that, you know, the human body was designed to move, obviously, you know, if you go back to primitive times and primal, whatever, just, you know, that's how, you know, people got their food and stuff. It was based on, you know, who's running, who's getting the food, who's, who's hunting and all that good stuff. So sitting all day is not how we were designed and people don't really, I I feel like people don't understand that anymore. I feel like they do and they don't, you know, they're just like, Oh, it's only a few hours, you know? It's like, ah, well, it's probably more than a few hours and what it really is. And then they don't realize, you know, just how the body is just, you know, it, we're pretty adaptable. And the body's adapting to that situation. It's like, hey, the body's not made. I guess that's my whole point. It's not made to sit for eight hours plus a day, you know, and there's ways around it. I mean, do, do you advise like certain ways? Like, you know, even right now I'm sitting here thinking about my posture. And, that's, <laughs> so, and, and that's just because, you know, even with, you know, my you know, I do a little CrossFit and stuff on the side, but even like the whole thing, it's like, it's always straight back, you know, bring your chest together or, or bring your chest apart, pull your shoulders together and stuff. And that's like, that's how you got to always be, you know? And is that kind of what, you know, you've been trying to preach and coach, I guess? Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach. Yes. I definitely tend to have that effect on people. And, you know, when we start talking about posture, everybody kind of goes and gets a whole lot taller. <laughs> but to go back to your point about the human body is we're not designed to move. And what we're seeing because of all of the sitting we do, typically anywhere between eight to 12 hours, people sit down and typically anywhere between eight to 12 hours, people are on some sort of device, whether that's a car, a computer, a phone, a tablet, causing even more of that rounded weak posture. And so when we sit, sit and sit some more, we're starting to see what postural experts, myself included, are calling what is scarily called a postural de-evolution. So we went from being able to kind of walk on all fours. We started to evolve our ability to be upright using more tools. And now the number one tool we all use is one of these, a phone, a computer, and it's pulling us into that rounded 
sure. primitive posture. And we're seeing that really early on now. We're seeing stuff that we associated with elderly people, kind of that rounded hunch in the back. We're starting to see that in children under the age of 10. And that's really alarming. And yeah. that's scary, right? <laughs> I mean, I notice that a lot, you know, when I'm walking out and about and this stuff, people are just, you know, looking down the whole time and whatever, you know, I, I you know, when I'm walking or driving through the, uh, the area or town here that I've almost hit people just cause they're not looking up. And I was like, that's gotta be so bad. And I even catch myself doing it. I mean, I'm you know, totally to blame for it too, but I try to always like, Oh shit, you're doing it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and even just sitting here, you know, well, and I even got a stand up desk just for that purpose, just, you know, a few years ago. Cause I, I was at, I had a job that I was re- very active in. I was always up walking around and stuff, but then went to a regular computer job. It's like, I can't do this. You know, I got to be having some kind of stand up desk. And there's, we even have a lot of people where I work at with stand up desks, but they don't use just because, you know, they don't care, I guess. But, you know, and also I wanted to bring up that. You just feel good if you walk and you got, you're standing up straight and you're walking and it's like a sign of confidence almost, you know, that, you know, you're not sitting here like you can't breathe and you got your shoulders and it looks very defensive. And, you know, when you're upright, you know, you're very showing that you're open to the world, I guess, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. There's so many layers to that for sure. And so firstly, we shouldn't be looking at our phones when we're walking in the road. That's totally a pet peeve of mine. Like, why are people on the phone when they're in the parking lot or when they're crossing at a crosswalk? I'm like, hello, is your text more important than getting across the street safely? Well, I'll just leave that there. To your second point is when we hold our phone, we tend to hold it down low. So here's a little tip for yourself and for your listeners is to lift it up. So bring it up to eye level if you can. You know, at first it feels funny. People are like, what am I, like 80? I got to hold it up in front of my face now. So just hold it up a little higher is better because then it doesn't, pull you into that rounded position. And because what happens is when we go into that texting position, your head is typically about six inches forward of your shoulders and your head, when it's on top of your shoulders is on average between eight and 12 pounds for easy math. Let's just say your head is 10 pounds. So it's 10 pounds when it's right on top of your shoulders, when you move it one inch forward, it doubles in weight. So now it's 20 pounds and then you move it another inch and now it's 40 pounds and it keeps getting heavier and heavier. And so if the average position is six inches forward, you can just bet that that's really darn heavy. And that's why the neck and shoulders are hurting so bad. So one of the things that you pointed to was the the appearance of somebody's posture and the way that they're carrying themselves. And you're so right in saying it, it's a confidence thing. It's an upright, it's an approachable, it's an open sort of posture because you're literally nice and wide across the chest. So you're kind of walking with your, your chest open or your heart open, if you will, depending on, you know, what direction you go with that. And really what it's doing is communicating incredible things through your body language. 60 to 70% of our communication comes through your body language. So people, whether you know it or not, whether you like, it or not are reading you based on the way that you're carrying yourself. And not only are they reading you, but your brain is also reading you because your brain and body obviously very interconnected. So your heart and your brain are very, very interconnected. Your heart sends more information up to your brain by way of your nervous nervous pathways than your brain sends down to your heart. So your heart is constantly sending signals back up to your brain. So if you are sitting in that slumped over weak posture, which, you know, most people, if you ask them like, what does somebody who's sad look like? How would they carry themselves? Well, you can guarantee it's that like slumped over, crossed arms, closed off position. If we're sitting in that posture, your heart's like, 
I'm not really sure what's happening, but we're breathing like we're super stressed out. We're holding ourselves like we're super sad and stressed out. So it's like, well, let's just send that message up to the brain. And the brain says, oh, okay, I guess that's what happens. We're stressed out. So more cortisol, less oxytocin, less dopamine. We're just kind of shutting down. And so that's called embodied physiology. So the quickest way to change your state is to change the way you're holding your body. So Tony Robbins talks a lot about that. Other people like to talk about it because it's so impactful. So when you change your posture, when you lift yourself back up into that, like open, confident, going to walk in the room, owning it, you got it, owning it sort of posture, it not only changes how people are perceiving you, but also how you are perceiving yourself. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. You know, just, I feel like that every day, just like, Oh, I got to open. Even when I catch myself doing it, it's like, Nope, no matter how bad you're feeling, dude, get up and start walking, you know, get those shoulders back. But I guess to play devil devil's advocate here, just some people will, you know, say, well, no, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not you. I can't walk like that. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you can do it, you know, and I'm a firm believer in, you know, you can do it. You just got to get the confidence up a little bit, you know, and I'm a firm believer in confidence builds confidence. You know, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? A hundred percent. I agree with you. And, and a lot of times when we try something new, it feels a little bit uncomfortable and, when we start to try something new and to stretch yourself and go to the edge of your zone of familiarity is when the noisy chatter, the collective in your mind, you know, that monkey, like negative committee in your head starts to say like, Oh no, no, we're not going to do that. Why are you doing that? That's stupid. What are you going to do? And it's, it's because it wants to keep you safe. It doesn't want you going out there and looking sassy and like putting yourself out there and being confident. It wants you to stay safe and it wants you to stay in that constricted and tight position. So when you are opening yourself up and you're really moving back into that, you feel different. Right. And so confidence isn't something that we just like get bopped on the head and we're all of a sudden confident. It's like anything. When you practice it, you start to get a little momentum with it. And so when I put people into a stronger posture, not a good posture, bad posture, it's weak posture, strong posture. When you're in strong posture, it feels strange at first because you've probably spent 25 plus years, sometimes way more in not in that posture, right? And it becomes a little more familiar every time you practice it. Just like anytime you challenge yourself, whatever that is for you, you go live on Facebook, you send a post, whatever it is, you challenge yourself and it gets a little bit easier every time. So every time you move into strong posture, you feel like, okay, yeah, this doesn't feel as weird as last time. It feels kind of good. All right, I feel energized. And then you'll start to notice when you're not in that and you're like, whoa, look at me slumping over again, up, up I go. And so coming back to that. So it's definitely a dance for sure. It becomes more comfortable with time. I just want to circle back just to say, I wanted to make sure I was clear that when walking with your, you know, upright and your shoulders back, I'm not talking like saying like you're a bodybuilder and can't fit through a door or whatever. Yeah. I just want to make sure others knew that just that, you know, not be overly cocky, you know, and right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, I guess there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, of course, but yeah, I just want to make sure that I, I didn't sound like an idiot saying that or a dickhead. No, you didn't. You didn't. And and that is a very good point because sometimes when we're trying to do something new, we tend to like way overcorrect and be like, oh, well, she said, you know, shoulders back and chest up. And he said chest open and this and that. And so we tend to go way to the opposite extreme. So just try a little bit with it. Just see if you can even practice walking taller, you know, or sitting taller and see how that feels. Your body will kind of get the signals. And like you said, it's not an arrogance thing. It's not like you're, you know, strutting in there trying to take over the world, but it's just noticing it's, I think it's an awareness thing. It's really coming back to being aware of, of how you're moving and how you're showing up. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And 
you know, when you're working with people with bad posture and trying to get better, I mean, let's say somebody, I think you said somebody's been sitting wrong or hunched for 10 to 20 years. How long do you start to see improvements? I mean, what it take after just exercises or whatever you're doing for a week, you see results in a month and this, or is it just little by little? I mean, what's the, how long do you think here? Do you actually start seeing results? I guess is my question. Well, people start to feel the results in one session. You can start to feel the difference in a few deep breaths. It changes your nervous system. It changes your biochemistry. You can feel different pretty much right away. But when it comes to the structural changes, it does take a little bit of time. And it takes consistency, which is where a lot of people kind of fall down and get tripped up on things, right? Of getting into a routine with something. So being consistent. And so that's one thing where people, you know, they think, oh, I got to do like an hour every day or whatever to make it worthwhile. And, and it's all cumulative. So a little bit every day adds up. And if you are consistent, even in just a few days, you'll start to feel the way that you're carrying yourself is different. And, and I find something very helpful for people is I do an alignment analysis at the beginning of our sessions when we start working together and, and I run it through a posture app. And when they see themselves, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's one of those like, Oh boy, help, help. <laughs> um, I can't remember what's class, but back in my bachelor's degree, we actually, I don't, you might have to do this too. They put you in front of a grid our professor did. And he would see like, you know, if one shoulder is kind of like this or one hip is out of a little bit and you would just measure mm -hmm. yourself through that. It's kind of similar to what you're saying when you do the measurement analysis, I guess, or movement. What did you just say? Yeah analysis absolutely yeah the alignment analysis yeah, yes it, it definitely it puts on it puts you on a grid and, and shows you are you actually in the line or the one that really gets people is when you look from the side because that really reveals a lot of that weakness in the upper back and that collapsed posture that is so painful because you know your spine is is naturally an s curve so it's not actually straight right, right. <laughs> so people say straighten up and so it's just more like lift up so your spine is an s curve but when we sit and we slouch we go into the a c curve so that's when people start to see that showing up in their body when they're standing up is very telling for people do a lot of people expect, you know, I was just talking about results. I mean, they're not willing to do the work to get you know, better or they want a shortcut, I guess. And they're just like, no, just, just get me better day one. You know, I don't, I don't want to do all this extra stuff. I don't understand why I can't have a shortcut, you know, cause I work with a lot of people who, you know, after two weeks, if they don't have a pull up or don't have, you know, I guess whatever their goal was like, this shit ain't working. I'm done. It's like, no, you mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta work at it. It's like everything else. There's no shortcuts in life as much as you want it to be. I wish there was, but this doesn't work like that, no matter what you're doing, you know? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and especially when it comes to our health or even just in general, like we're so used to instant gratification. Like if your Wi-Fi is slow, you know, you're like tapping it, like, oh, maybe I should restart the computer. What's wrong with the phone? You know, we just expect things to be happening like this. And when it comes to your body, it took you a minute to get to that state. It took you a minute for your muscles to get weaker or whatever it is. And so it's going to take time. But it's really if we start to shift our perspective of, of recognizing, like, if you have, a you know, an amazing automobile, you're not going to just like run it into the ground, slam it into the garage and be like, I need to take this to the mechanic and take it to the mechanic. And he'll be like. Uh, yeah, it's going to take a minute. You've done some damage, <laughs> you know, and it's not that people have done damage to their body, but when it comes to exercise and movement, it's going to take a minute. And it's really just flipping the perspective on if this is the vehicle that you have, that you've been so beautifully, generously given in order for you to experience life, 
it kind of is your responsibility to take care of it. And so making that commitment to yourself and making it a priority actually does have a huge return on investment on it when you feel good, you know, when you're be able to be more patient with your partner or your kids or your workmates, you're not snapping at them because you're cranky and in pain, everything else in your life benefits when you feel good. But we're so quick to just say like, Oh, I got to, you know, I have a million and one things to do, but I can't ever check that super important box because we're so busy checking all the other boxes, but we forget to check the number one box of taking care of ourselves. So do you think people? Yeah, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. No, you. <laughs> because you're, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there agreeing 100 with you. Um, I guess. Do you think people just, you know, to feel healthy, to feel good, to be positive, they just get in these negative comfort zones, and they think they're feeling good and they're feeling great, but they're really not. And like, how do they? They just go down these. You know, I always say it on here that these whatever podcasts or conversations, whatever you want to call it, but that people just get in this negative comfort zone and then. They go down this road and they don't ask questions and they're not doing anything to improve themselves. And, you know, 10 years goes down the road and they're looking back like, you know, what happened? Then, you know, then here goes 15 years. And then there's like, oh, wait, I'm not feeling good. Like, I got to go to the doctor, get this checked out. And then all of a sudden, hey, uh, you got something seriously wrong. I don't know what a good example is right now. But then they're like, oh, why did not they just, you know, they stay in this negative, negative comfort zone and they don't know what it's like to feel good, I guess. You know, do you think it's a lot of our, I don't want to say culture, society, but I guess, a lot of people in today's times, I guess, in modern society, maybe? A hundred percent. I would say we get a little bit complacent and we get tolerant to what feels fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's like the the common answer. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. You know, we kind of just cruise along at cruising altitude of being okay. When, if we took a step back and we recognize, well, how do I really want to feel? And that's what I help people do is, is begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey so beautifully said of like, what is your ideal for your life in five years or 10 years, depending on 20, however far you want to go? What does your health look like? How do you walk into a room? What's your routine like? And so getting that information and starting to implement it today, we tend to say, I'll get to it later. I have a lot going on right now, but what if we don't get that opportunity? And so really, how can you begin to embody that version of yourself today so that you can begin to live fully today? And so, you know, we tend to kind of wait till tomorrow, but if we start to really get consistent and get committed to ourselves, And so those are two words that scare a lot of people. But if we can start to just take that little step forward, you know, that, that journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So what's that step going to be today? You know, what's, how are you going to feel a little bit better today? Because when you start to feel really good and when you start to feel that like strength in your body and you walk in the room, then you'll notice when it doesn't feel good because you're like, Oh, why is my back hurt? Oh yeah. Cause I'm slunched over and I like totally um, collapsed then you'll notice that you're in that position. Whereas if you were in this position all the time, the other position is going to feel weird, right? So when we start to kind of shift it, it just becomes your new way, your new normal, if you will. And so then it becomes how you show up and how you feel is your priority because you love feeling good. Yeah. And, and you know, and going off that, you know, you said, you know, mental fitness earlier that, you know, when you're helping people, do you also, you know, when they're actually talking and speaking to people, like the way they actually are talking about themselves, you kind of say, Hey, let's shift that into more. Cause I had a conversation the other day on here and the guy I was talking to said, yeah, he, he hired a mindset coach. And I was like, well, I don't really know what that is. Why don't you explain it to me? But you know, he's trying to build a business, you know, basically so he can get out of his nine to five job. And he was talking with the mindset coach of their first consultation or whatever it was. And 
he kept saying, well, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I'm trying to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And the mm -hmm. coach was like, stop, stop, stop saying I'm trying, you know, and this is where you need to get and change this. I don't know, this loop in your brain to say, you're not trying, you're actually doing it. Now start saying that rather than I'm trying, because if you just say you're trying, that just means there's a chance it's going to fail. Does that kind of make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a difference in the languaging. And so either you're, you're trying or you are. So I'm doing this rather than I'm trying. Cause that kind of, like you said, there's a chance you won't, or it kind of puts it off till later, or I'm only really doing it a little bit. And so, yes, I definitely help people. And, and it's always a work in, in progress. And as we all are, I believe by no means, am I like sitting on a high mountain and, you know, perfect by no means, I will be the first to tell you that. <laughs> and so, um, really watching the way we speak to ourselves because your subconscious mind is always listening. Sure. Your conscious mind is the one that's, you know, operating with the rest of the world and, you know, what we see in front of us, but your subconscious mind is where your habits and your identities and your beliefs are stored. And so it's always listening to you. And so what happens is we kind of, we get into our, our different patterns and the way we speak and where we cope with things. And so we start to notice of, well, how do you respond in situations that are challenging? Do you go into perfectionism or do you go into uh, procrastination or do you go into the like, whoa, it's me, it never works out. Just start to notice what happens in those moments and you can almost label them as a character, give them a name like, um, there's, you know, picky Pete again, that perfectionist version of me. And so giving yourself a little bit of space from it um, so the, what I've been trained in, in the mental fitness is he calls them saboteurs. So it's the little techniques of self-sabotage that we all tend to have. So we all have, you know, what's commonly known as the inner critic. He calls it the judge because we're judging ourselves, We're judging the situation. We're judging other people, whether we say anything or not, it's kind of running dialogue in our head. And so what that's doing is it's triggering stress and it's triggering negative emotions. And so that's the main one we all have, but then there's some backup characters like the victim or the perfectionist, the avoider, the controller, the high achiever, which I totally am, you know, and people that are just going after it. And so the opposite to all of that is your wise higher mind or what's called the sage. And so when you notice that you are in that old pattern of like, oh, it's never going to work out. Why is this happening to me? Why can I ever figure it out? Just noticing it like, oh, there's that, that victim version of myself again. What am I going to do instead? So do something that brings you back into your body. So some sort of grounding technique, something as simple as breathing or one that I find very practical and usable is just super softly rubbing your fingertips together so softly that you are paying attention to the ridges of your fingertips. And so you can do this while, you know, it doesn't have to be up here. You can just hold it down in your lap or wherever and just really pay attention to it. Because when you do that, you're actually quieting the stress part of your brain called your amygdala and you're activating the prefrontal cortex, which is the higher function or the thriving aspect of your brain. And when you're in that calm state, you're more grounded, you're more focused, you're more likely to make a positive decision and less likely to respond out of stress or negative emotion. So it's really just kind of paying attention. It goes back to that awareness point of how we are when we get challenged or we get stressed or we get tired or we get upset, how we respond to situations and just start to notice it and, you know, have it as a little character and then say, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do? And just breathe or do whatever, do go for a dance or go for a workout, something that takes you out of it. And will allow you to access that higher wisdom. You know, you, you just talked about breath work and, you know, mm -hmm. I just finished reading recently, uh, James Nestor's breathe book. I don't know if you've read that, but, 
Um, well, when I say recently, it's probably been six months or more now. But, you know, and, and also doing these podcasts, and I hear a lot of people talk about more about breathing and breath work and this how, and it's just like, it's been, you know, overlooked, you know, for so many years now, I feel like, you know, you know, rather than just, you know, during my workouts and stuff uh, and what I do, but just as far as, you know, the mental health part of it, it's just like, why is this not getting bigger news, you know? And just reading that book, I was like, so much little things, just like noticing, hey, breathe through your nose more. Don't be a mouth breather. And I'm not, and it's just like, why, what's going on here? Now, and all the great effects and positive stuff it can do for the body. It's just like, you know, like one thing he says, or James Nestor says in the book that if you're breathing through your mouth, like I might, I, I might butcher this one too, that, you know, if you do it for so long, your face at your facial structure will actually start to change and like become more narrow, I think. So yeah. And like he actually did it, uh, an experiment where he covered his whole mouth and only breathed through his nose for, I forgot how long he did, but he actually noticed that. I think he actually had some bones grow, like really, like where he could fit some pennies in. I don't know. I can't, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess my whole point is just that, yeah, this breath work has been overlooked and I don't understand why, since it's like the whole, obviously key to life and key to us, you know, keep moving, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's something you made a good point. I think it's something that's overlooked of, we tend to be looking for like these fancy strategies of, you know, first get, make it done quickly. So I don't have to do it forever, but we're looking for these like big ornate shiny things that are going to be, you know, the biggest transformation possible with the least amount of time and the least amount of investment. And that's actually your breath (laughs) and we, we ignore it, you know? And so yoga essentially is a breathing practice. There's so many different martial arts and, and other different cultures, you know, even here where I live in Maui, the ha, the breath is foundational to all of life. We all understand that we all need oxygen. And so when we come back to the breath or go to the breath in the first place, in as little as three deep breaths, there's a drastic shift to your nervous system. And so, like he said, to breathe through your nose, because your your nose is a part of you that is attached to the parasympathetic nervous system because of the vagus nerve. So when you are in a calm state, you breathe through your nose. Whereas when we're in that activated fight or flight state, we breathe through our mouth so we can get oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange more quickly. When you're in that calm state, you breathe through your nose. So that's one powerful thing you can do. And your breath and your lungs are the only way that you can have a direct impact on your nervous system, other than relaxing the muscles of your jaw and your face, but your org- from an organ perspective, it's your lungs. So when you shift to your breath and you go to your breath and you even just as simple as paying attention to the breath, there's already a shift. So I agree with you. There is, it's a tool set that's often overlooked, but it's so powerful and so, so impactful. And, and when we learn to breathe well, it has major shifts to your body, the way you carry yourself, your oxygen levels. Part of the problem with the way we sit and slouch is your lung capacity goes down by about 30% when you're slouched over because your diaphragm gets squashed. So you take short and shallow breaths, which first it triggers stress because remember that's how we breathe when we're stressed, but it decreases oxygen levels to your brain by 30%. Your your brain's never going to let it go lower than that because it's all about survival. But when you have that decreased level of oxygen, everything starts to get a little bit sleepy, you get tired, you get distracted, you know, and everything changes. So it's, it's really a powerful, powerful tool set for people to have. Do you specialize when you're doing yoga, do you do a certain type of yoga or is it just, I don't, I don't know a lot about yoga. I actually just learned about Kundalini yoga a few weeks ago. So do you do like a certain type like that? Or is it just kind of a, a general yoga or hot yoga? So, or what? 
That's always a question I have a, a challenging time to answer because Good. I studied with a variety of different teachers and then I have my own approach, I suppose, that sort of intermingled the personal training aspect as well as the breath and and the intentional embodiment, because I'm all about that embodied intention of like you make a decision of how you want to feel for the day based on that big vision that you have for yourself. So if you want to feel courageous today in your practice, that's what you focus on. So you're saying that to yourself with the clear intention. So this is from Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he talks about changing our chemistry by way of a clear intention. So the statement of I am courageous or whatever it is you want and the embodiment of the elevated emotional state, activating that state within yourself. So you combine those two things, the elevated emotion and the clear intention with repetition actually changes the hardwiring of your brain, changes the belief structure that you have about yourself. So we use the yoga practice to practice being courageous. And so being courageous means to lift and lead with your heart. So from the postural point of view, that's the exact opposite to the scrunched over collapsed position, right? So how can you be courageous is hold yourself in a courageous posture and activate that through your practice. And so to answer your question in a roundabout sort of way, it's a practice that really helps people to connect back to themselves. And that's the essence of yoga, but it's not like a specific style per se. I like to pull from all the different modalities and kind of you know, blend it together. I like that just because, you know, cause I, I tend to think like that, you know, when I see things I like, it's like, well, I like that part of it, but I don't like this part of it, you know? And so like, why can't we just all, you know, that's what Bruce Lee did with martial arts and, that he took all the different things and just combined them together and made one his style. And then obviously he's one of the most badass fighters there is. So, yeah, I mean, just, and it's something I think new and innovative stuff like that is what people might be drawn to. I mean, that's kind of what I was, when I started CrossFit, that's what I was drawn to. You know, it was taking, you know, Olympic lifting, running, you know, gymnastics and move it into one workout. And I was like, well, this is badass. I've never done this before. You know, let's keep doing this. I mean, is that what kind of what your thinking was that, you know, I like this part. I like this part. Let's make it, you know, Megan yoga. That's like you said, or Megan fitness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like the combination of it. And, and because in the exercise, pardon one second, I'm just going to go. <laughs> no worries. In the exercise realm, there is strengthening of the bones and the muscles. And then in the yoga realm, there's, postural awareness, the breath awareness. And so what I like to do is bring them both together. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, I just feel like that's, everybody's always looking for a new, I don't want to say trend, but you know, what's the next best diet? What's the next best thing to get me in shape? What's the next best thing? And then when I hear something like, Oh, well, you know, Joe over there has been doing this. I mean, why don't you go try that? Then it gets people excited about something because it's new and it's not like, yeah, well, I tried, you know, bodybuilding. I, it wasn't for me. I tried powerlifting. It wasn't for me, you know, but you get them something new and they're like, oh, I'll try it. Let's stay on it. And like it excites them, you know, and plus if you really get them involved with it, you know, they stay, They I, most people tend to stick with them generally speaking, but um, that's, I guess, my experience with it. You know, new things seem to always spark people's interest more until after a while they find the next new thing, you know, so. For sure. Yeah. We're always looking for the next newest, best, shiniest thing. is this the thing that's going to help me (laughs) and like you know i'm an enemy of nutrition and stuff and just because you know everyone's just like you know and we don't have to go down a diet or nutrition rant here but just be like well what do you do what what do you eat and it's like well this is what i do and then i go write me up a program and i'll do that and it's like well that's fine but hey just so you understand though just because that's what i do and that's what's working for me doesn't mean that 
That's all. It could work for you if you stick to it, but I'm not saying it's going to be a hundred percent guaranteed, you know? And that's what I think a lot of people get misrepresentations when they look up to the, you know, I guess fitness models and certain people and they fail and they kind of blame it like, well, you know, I, it didn't work out for me. And then, then they, maybe they tend with burnout or on it when they do get it and they do get some results and then they go out like a yo-yo effect. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure where I was going with that point. I guess that was just a little rant, but <laughs> I don't know. All good. All good. Okay, good. But I, but let's, uh, I guess let's shift gears here. And just that I know that, you know, well, speaking of burnout, you have experienced burnout, right? And that, you know, um, in your past and that you got, I guess you got over it or what did you do to deal with it? Yeah, it's horrible. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's really one of those things that I'm, I'm passionate about helping people to avoid because it's it's a really it's a long and rambly rocky road back because not only are you completely taxed emotionally mentally physically but it takes a lot to rebuild your inner fire if you will your zest for life your drive to keep going and so it really is one of those things of it gives you an appreciation for how amazing your body does feel when it feels good. And when it doesn't feel good, you know, it's kind of like when we've had a cold or what have you, it's like, Oh man, I f- it's nice to feel good again. And like, yeah. feel like I can climb upstairs. And, and so it really, you know, that like ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure sort of deal. So what can we do to prevent it? And it's all the things that we've been speaking to throughout this, but yeah, it was, it was rough. I mean, it was challenging because I literally felt so tapped out that like my yoga, my workout was literally just laying on the ground and crying and wondering like, what the heck am I supposed to do? I don't know if I'm cut out to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if I'm even on the right path. I don't know where the path is anymore. Does anybody know where the path is? You know, you're like going through the whole gamut of all the questions. And so it really, it's kind of one of those moments of, of, testing yourself your resilience your determination your ability to get back up and it's like you know we're not measured by how many times or what's the am i probably going to butcher it but it's it's the how many times we fall and get back up again right and so it's like it's going to happen inevitably that we we have these challenging moments in our life but getting burnt out is not inevitable as long as we are strategic on a regular basis on a daily basis you know and it's the whole like filling up the cup and putting on the mask and making sure we don't get to that point if you're hearing funny noises it's my dog is dreaming underneath the table (laughs) (laughs) i imagine he's chasing bunny rabbits somewhere but yes he's doing this thing (laughs) like to be challenged do you find yourself wanting to be challenged throughout you know daily life and find new obstacles to try to conquer That's a great question. I mean, I do like to, sorry. I was just going to say just because I've gotten to where I feel like I do like that. I like little small challenges and they give me these wins and then overcoming or breaking down the walls. And I feel like it not only helps mine, but it's like, I don't know if it's a key to longevity, but I feel like if you just like, I guess we've been talking about it the whole time here, but you get stuck in that routine or whatever, and you just go through life and whatever. But if you keep challenging yourself and finding out what you're made of, it seems to, you know, make not only make you a badass, but you're just it makes regular life easier, I guess. You know, if the waiter gets if waiter gets your order wrong or whatever, you're like, all right, cool, whatever, no big deal. You know, I mean, I think that's why pe- some people tend to do hard things because it makes regular daily life easier. I hope that kind of makes sense. So yeah. It does. I agree with you. It keeps things interesting yeah. and it teaches you how to navigate those moments, you know, and and rather 
then having to overcome it is recognizing that those, those little hiccups and those little ups and downs are part of it, you know, and they're, they're really teaching you a lot and teaching you how to handle things more gracefully. And sometimes when you don't handle them gracefully, you get to look back and reflect and decide how you're going to do it next time. Because you're right. It's like, if the, the server gets your order wrong, some people lose their, you know, they lose it. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's not really necessary. Like, are you so tapped out and impatient that that's like blow making you blow your top? Or like, can you just have these moments of, Oh, things happen. What are we going to do? Am I just going to wait? Maybe I'll just have another drink or have some more water or whatever. In the meantime, you know, it's no big deal. It's really about how we challenge, how we handle those challenges, I think. So maybe that's a good point is that, yeah, if we bring these little moments of learning and growing and evolving into our life consistently, then it gives us that, that opportunity to strengthen that muscle, that resiliency and that, and that ability to navigate more gracefully. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just because, you know, I've been around people who I feel like don't do that. Just like to your point that, you know, they lose their, they lose their shit. Like for a better word that when something bad Mm -hmm. happens, like, Hey, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, we can calm down. So it's just like, you know, what life path did you take that or life experience did you take that it was cool to do that or why was it not, not even cool to do that, but just why are you doing that? You know, it's, I don't mm-hmm. understand the big deal. Like, did you have a bad day today? What else is going on in your life? And it's like all these things build up and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, boiling water, the top explodes or whatever. And just, you know, it didn't have to be like that. So it was, why don't you take a little, you know, make like journaling or something it seems to be a, a great tool that I don't use, but I kind of just keep saying I want to use it, but it seems like, Hey, to get your the stress out a little bit, you know, write down your thoughts, you know, write down what's bothering you and learn to say, Hey, if I want to fix this, you know, how can I fix this? You know, if you're, if you're not, if you're unhappy with your weight, if you're unhappy with your posture, I mean, okay, well, there's ways, there's tons of information out there. It's all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. go make a change, you know, I mean, it's that easy for me. I say that it's, I say it's easy, but I guess a lot of people have other different obstacles, but it seems easy to me. Well, yeah. And there's no shortage of information. I mean, we have like an information overload, right? You could Google anything on YouTube and become an expert within an hour. It's really the implementation that the issue lies. That's where the issue lies. It's like, we can do all the research in the world, but if you're not going to put the tools to use, then the tool's no good if it's in the box on the shelf, <laughs> you know? So it's it's really that commitment. It's, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's all about that personal choice, you know, and, and what we're going to make a priority in our life. Do you find yourself, I mean, you know, with information and over information, you know, always having to keep up with, you know, and I, I, I'm not experiencing yoga and how I've been to a couple of yoga classes. I like it, but you're always trying to stay, even with, I'm sure there's always new science with, you know, posture and body mechanics and stuff. I mean, you always find yourself, Hey, I need to stay on top of this. And how do I stay on top of this? And, you know, always looking for like, you know, new studies that are coming out. I mean, is that, or do you just kind of like you said, you found your thing, you found your groove and you know what works and kind of stay in that lane. Does that kind of make sense? Both. I like to learn. I love to learn. I think that's really important. It's actually really important for your brain to continue to learn new things and challenge yourself. But I also, I think that's important to stay current and to continue to challenge ourselves. to your point earlier, but also to learn and to grow and evolve. So that's definitely something that's, I think we, I at least could always get a little stronger at. (laughs) So definitely something important. I know I've subscribed to the the Google alerts, you know, and it sends me all the things, but it sends me like five a day and then I forget to look at it. (laughs) So I feel like I should, uh, it's a good reminder. Thank you. I should get back on that a little more consistently to take my own medicine. (laughs) Well, I do it too. I mean, you know, 
for a while, I, you know, I'm listening to something and doing my own thing and not really keeping up with what's new out there. And, and so then I'm like, oh, well, you know, everything's just ch- constantly changing so much. And it's just always, you know, like, you know, new diets, new whatever this. And if I get asked about it, I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't heard about it, you know. So then they're like, well, you, you probably should. And I said, like, well, I guess I'll go learn about it now. But, you know, I guess, I, and I'm not saying like what I do, I need to be an expert in anything and as far as nutrition and all that good stuff. But I don't know, like, I guess because like, you know, I like to learn new things and kind of at least get the gist of what's going on out there just because, as I said, there's so much change and there's always somebody who's got some new study out that, oh, you should eat, uh, you know, like, you know, I've, what's my point here? That actually Snicker, Snickers bar is actually somewhat can be beneficial to you after a really tough, brilliant workout, you know, and like somebody mm-hmm. would believe that, but there was a couple studies done and there's a couple athletes who do it. And it was like, hmm. you know, cause I you know, get the sugar back in your glycogen or whatever it is. But anyway, but yeah, but it's just stuff like that. When people ask that question, I'm like, yeah, there's actually some, it's not a foolproof, hundred percent way to do things, but there is some good science to it, I guess. So I guess that's the reason I asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in going back, I mean, you know, talking about journaling and all that, I mean, do you meditate? Do you journal? Do you do anything to kind of say like, give yourself a break and like, Hey, 15 minutes, I'm just going to reset my batteries, get back to neutral and go about my way. Yes, absolutely. So I do my journaling in the morning time. I do it as gratitude journaling and then kind of rolling into the visualization of, I start with the things that are actually in my life that I'm very grateful for. And then I continue to write it as things that I'm wanting to create in my life, wanting to bring into my life. And I just continue to write it as though they have already occurred in my life. So I'm shifting my perspective around them. And for a long time, admittedly, I, you know, especially when I was burnt out, when I was not meditating or wasn't able to do yoga, I, I totally felt like an imposter and a fraud because I was a yoga teacher that didn't meditate and and meditation is the ultimate goal of yoga. We do all the poses in yoga to be able to meditate. And so I wasn't doing it because my mind is just very active. You know, you try to get it quiet and it's like a circus in there. And so I was, I avoided it for a long time until my grandmother was diagnosed with dementia. And sadly, yeah. And, and I got really freaked out. And so I'm thinking like, okay, well, what can I do? You know, what can I do to keep my brain healthy? And I started to research because I love to learn. And one of the most powerful combinations to keep your brain healthy is actually a combination of cardio. So anything where your heart rate is elevated because that actually encourages new neurons or brain cells to grow. So when you do cardio, you grow new brain cells and then meditation. So the combination of cardio and meditation, because the meditation is challenging for your brain cells because they have to do something. So it causes them to mature and stick around. So I'm like, oh, I'm motivated now. I'm going to learn how to do this. And I still couldn't. And so I went to my teacher and I said, you know, I really would like to learn how to meditate. I really just can't get this noisy chatter of the shitty committee in my head. It just keeps going all the time. And she said, you know, well, maybe you haven't found your stick. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> she said, well, you know, elephants. I'm like, where is this story going? She says, you know, when you think of an elephant, when you think of an elephant, don't you often picture them and they have a stick, they're carrying a stick in their trunk or they're holding on yeah. with their trunk to the tail of the elephant in front of them. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, 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 that makes sense to me. And she said, why do you think that is? I'm like, I'm not sure. 
And she said, well, you know, elephants are very smart. And I said, yes, they're very smart, beautiful beings, super hyper intelligent, very emotionally connected, lovely beings, but they're really smart. And they're, so they're super curious. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. So when they're out and about on their walk, their handlers have to give them something to do because they're always looking around with their trunk. They're trying to pick things up. They're trying to do this and that. And I was like, am I the elephant? And she said, close. Your mind is like the elephant. You're the handler that you give it something to do and you give it a stick. And I was like, Ah, oh, that totally makes sense now. So that's why we have all of these different tools to meditate. And one of the first and foremost is people go to is their breath. But if you are of a very busy mind, you know, like many of the people that I work with that are very driven, hyper achievers, going after sort of people, their mind, you just like tell them to breathe and they're like, okay, I'm doing it, but blah, 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 blah. you know, it's it's not possible. So doing something like um doing this, as we spoke to earlier, or closing your eyes and just listening to all the sounds that you can hear. So you're actually doing something. You're achieving that same state of calm and meditation that we spoke to earlier when you're quieting the noisy chatter of the mind and you're activating the higher center of the mind, which is the goal of yoga is to quiet the noise, but also knowing that there's never going to be complete and utter stillness. It's you just recognizing, Oh, I'm over there chattering again. Okay. I'm breathing, I'm focusing on the fingertips. You're doing whatever it is you're doing and that becomes your stick. And so that tool set of the mental fitness is the most practical one that I've found for myself and for my clients and students because it's simple stuff. It's not like sitting and, you know, that kind of customary stereotypical image of meditation, you know, you know, you got your incense and you got your cushion, you got the music, you got this and that, which is beautiful. And if that's your jam, then go for it. But if you can do something that helps you to achieve that state while you're on the bus, while you're walking to school, whatever it is, you know, while you're driving, you're listening, you're paying acutely paying attention, you're achieving that same state of meditation. And I mean, of course, there is room and space in your life if you love to just sit quietly and do those and use the tools to be able to, you know, have that more classical meditation. That's beautiful as well, but sometimes that's not as practical. So to answer your question, yes, that's how I meditate. <laughs> I want to circle back to something you said earlier. Well, just just now, but um, and we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but do you, have you, do you, you said imposter, do you deal with imposter syndrome or have have you dealt with it? Because I mean, I do a little bit. We all do to a degree. Really? It means that you're challenging yourself. You're pushing to the edge of your comfort zone. And it means that you are allowing yourself to experience a new part of your life where you don't feel as comfortable yet. And you maybe don't feel as skilled. And it's really just your own brain's way of keeping you in that zone of familiarity of like, no, 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 don't go over there. You're not going to be good at it. Remember that time when you messed up and everyone laughed at you when you were five years old? And it's all of that stuff that comes back at you. So that's one of the characters that you would just label and be like, oh, thanks for the information. What does my higher mind say? My higher mind says that I know my stuff. I'm learning my stuff and it's, I'm going to practice it right now. And I'll get a little more confident. I'll get a little more skilled at it every time I do it, but maybe I'm not going to feel like a million dollar boss doing it right away. And that's okay. Everyone started as a beginner, you know, and it's just about how we speak to ourselves around that. And that's really the essence of mindset, right? It's just changing the way we look at something, changing the way we speak to ourselves, and 
just recognizing that we all have those moments. We all have those doubts and that's actually really quite normal and it's healthy, but it's how you handle it is that's really on you. And that's where the tools come in handy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I firmly agree with exactly what you just said that, you know, if you stay in your comfort zone, you're never going to grow and you need to get out of there. And if you want to grow and do something kind of what we were talking about earlier, you got to get out of that comfort zone, even if it's just a small step, if you want to get to a goal or whatever you're trying to do in life, yeah, you got to can't always be in a comfort zone all the time, no matter how much you want to be. Trust me, I've, I've been there. And it's just when I took my first step, it was kind of like, OK, a small win. OK, I can do this. You know, you don't have to take a leap of faith. Let's write out, you know, and go big on something. But just get those little wins, get the confidence up. But yeah, I still but I still do. Uh, it's like you said, I still do deal with it a little bit. Just my mind goes in those places like, nope, don't do it, Chris. What are you doing? You're going to you're, you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look like an idiot. Okay, I've dealt with this before, and just let me shake it out of my head and get going. That's kind of what my key is. You just got to find your way, like you just said, to get over it. You know, get around it. So, Mm -hmm. but I know we're getting. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to be mindful of that. So, if you want to go ahead and just plug in all of your uh, people want to find you and all that good stuff, how do they do that? Sure. Yeah. So come over and hang out with me on Instagram. So on Instagram, my handle is I am Megan Nolan. So I-A-M-M-E-G-A-N-N-O-L-A-N. And then I do have a mini morning routine that I'd love to share with your listeners. So that's my three-step mini morning routine that helps you to, as we spoke to, connect to your big vision, be able to embody that version of yourself today. And also how can you express that version so that you're taking those steps forward, quieting that noisy chatter and moving towards your big vision. So the link to grab that for free is bit.ly forward slash mini morning routine. So it's a great way to get your day started. And literally, you know, a couple minutes is amazing. If you have more, that's awesome, but not necessary. Just do what you can because when you feel good, everything else gets a little easier. I agree. Last question. How long have you been in Hawaii? All your life or recent? No, I'm originally from Canada, but I don't like snow. So I've lived here for a total of 12 years. I lived on the big island for two and I've been on Maui for almost 11. So 10. That's cool. Yeah. I was just like, mm, I wonder if she's always been from Hawaii, but yeah. Cool. All right. Um, anything else you want to put out there? All that good stuff. Anything else you want to say? Thanks so much for having me. Cool. It's been great yeah. to chat. Good. Cool. Um, yeah. Folks, take care of yourself. Be good to yourself. All that good stuff. We're out of here. Later.